listening to the Stage Break Podcast, the weekly show that covers major headlines, interesting stories, and more from the NASCAR Cup Series. Now let's get this stage break underway and talk some racing. Welcome in to another episode of the Stage Break Podcast. My name is Josh, your armchair analyst and the host of the show. Appreciate you tuning in and shout out to the pit crew members that we have. You all are the best. Thank you so much for your support. In the way of podcast news, just to get this out of the way very quickly, uh, there is a new pit crew edition out now on our Buy Me a Coffee page. It's entitled the 2024 Cup Question Marks. Basically, we go through the cup field with a fine-tooth comb and discuss the questions that each manufacturer, team, and driver need to answer on the racetrack in 2024. For $5 a month, you get access to this premium content, these bonus episodes that I I call Pit Crew Editions, as well as uh, some other interesting content, Discord server channels that only you would have access to. And so for 5 bucks a month or for $50 a year, you can have access to that. Or if you'd rather have a year for free, that is still an option. You can go to the website, uh, thestagebreakpodcast.com, fill out the pod survey form, give me some feedback on the show so that we can make the show better, and, uh, and you'll get a year free. Um, there's, there's no uh, information taken from you. There's no credit card in or anything like that on file. Um, it's basically I can send an invitation to whomever I would like and uh, and offer uh, a free membership. So um, you can get a free year just for giving me some feedback on what you think about this podcast. So um, why not do that? I mean, you get some free bonus content uh, for a year. So be sure to go check that out if that's something you would be interested in. All right, let's talk about some NASCAR news. Uh, thing, a, lot of, a lot of things developing this week, uh, having already developed, um, especially just, you know, the season's kicking off this weekend, right? And going into the race week, uh, the speed weeks here at Daytona, uh, it has come to our attention that the 45 as well as the 48 teams have been penalized because they, quote, failed twice in the Daytona 500 pre-qualifying inspection on Wednesday, resulting in crew member ejections and the loss of pit stall selection for Thursday's 150-mile qualifying races. as That's for the dual races, which have already concluded. Um, so the penalty has already been served. I believe it was the crew chief that had to sit out. Um, the question is, will this? what will this do for them as they plan and strategize for the 500 this weekend? Now, it didn't seem to hurt the 45 team any. They came out with a dual win. But nonetheless... Uh, it's maybe just a little hiccup, maybe not that big a deal. And with all the technology and data that can be relayed electronically and remotely, uh, it, it may not really serve to be that big of a problem. But nonetheless, uh, you know, something that you don't want to do, but it shows that they're pushing the envelope a little bit, and maybe in the long run it'll help them. We'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. And also with NASCAR News, Front Row Motorsports announced on Thursday a contract extension with Ford Performance, as well as a new alliance deal with Penske Racing. Could this be why Penske and Front Row Motorsports are on the front row for the 500 this weekend? According to Zach from NASCAR Nonstop, Front Row has increased to a Ford Tier 1 program and will collaborate with Team Penske 
on engineering, aerodynamics, race setup, strategy, pit crew development, and other projects. So will this bring FRM in range to compete with other powerhouse teams such as Joe Gibbs Racing or Hendrick or, uh, or Penske itself? Uh, we'll have to see as the season unfolds. Quick plug here. Thanks so much, Zach, if you're listening to this, for uh, getting back with me on, on some of the information that you were able to find on that. If you don't follow Zach on Instagram, go check him out, NASCAR Nonstop, all, all one word. And uh, he's got some really good um, just news that comes out. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, his stuff is stuff that maybe you would see elsewhere, but usually you see it first with him, or at least very early on. So if you're on Instagram a lot, go check him out, give him a follow, and uh, be in the know with everything that's happening in the NASCAR news world. All right, let's go ahead and talk about these dual races. I am recording this the night of the races. This is right after they're over. I was putting some notes down as we were watching the races. So this is about as raw of a reaction as you can get, aside from maybe streaming live, which uh, this that's not what this is, obviously. But just to give you the reaction on the dual races as well as qualifying a little bit, based off the qualifying part, is, is for the non-chartered teams, that Anthony Alfredo and David Reagan are locked into the 500 by, based on their qualifying speed. And so uh, kudos to them. I think a lot of people counted on David, Ra- David Reagan doing that. I think a lot of people did not think that Anthony Alfredo in that 62 car would be able to do so. Uh, but, but they were. So yeah, they're, they're going 500 racing here this weekend. Um, also, just from the duels themselves, you know, we talked a little bit last week about uh, Toyota and Ford, uh, and, and with the new bodies that they've got on the car. Obviously, they didn't just come out with new bodies because of a, a marketing scheme or to look better. Ultimately, their performance, you know, reasons they they need to go faster. They want to go faster. Uh, they 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 felt like their bodies were lacking and one or more areas, and they wanted to fix that. And it looks like, from what we saw in the dual races, it looks like they did that. Uh, Toyota obviously was very fast. And, and, and by the way, Toyota swept the dual races. Tyler Reddick won the first one. Christopher Bell won the second one. Both Toyota drivers. So I think the qualifying performance that we saw was very misleading. Obviously, the furthest forward Toyota from qualifying was Eric Jones, and I think he qualified 22nd for the just during the qualifying session. So, and, and, and most of them were further back in like 30 plus. So, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, is the art was that much of an improvement? Did they actually, you know, we just have to wait and see. And when we waited to see once the, they got into a pack, the Toyotas were very, very strong, and we got to see that firsthand. I think Ford was strong too especially in that second duel coming down that final lap. Ford was making some strides, but they just couldn't um, they couldn't work together too well, so I think it killed some of the momentum that they could have had to be able to contend with the Toyotas at the front, or maybe Toyota at the front. And uh, But nonetheless, I think they're both fast. I, th- I think that the new bodies so far seem to be a success, seem to have given them some more speed. We'll see uh, you know, as we go on into the weekend, with some of the practice sessions as well as the Daytona 500, if that holds up. And then we'll really see as we get into the season, whenever we get outside of super speedway racing, outside of pack racing, 
and uh, and see what it does. Just a couple of notes on the duels themselves. Duel number one, I saw more excitement there than I thought we would. Um, just with everything that unfolded, the 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 pit miscommunication amongst the Toyota drivers, and it looked like um, Martin Truex Jr. got left out of some of the information and uh, wasn't planning on pitting when everyone else was, and it caused almost a wreck, and all of that unfolded. And I think a lot of that caused um, that excitement that uh, we noticed and maybe just a, a result of no practice, you know, just uh, you know, things that they had to figure out on the fly maybe made it a little bit more difficult um, getting all the communication channels lined up and everything working smoothly. Um, maybe took a, a dual race to, to get that done. But kudos to Jimmy Johnson for racing his way in, having not qualified into the 500 based off of his qualifying speed alone. He had to race his way in. And as he said, post-race, this was the first time he was in that situation, the type of circumstance to where he may not make the 500. He, he has to get in on speed. He has to do it based on performance, not because his team has a charter. And um, it, it seemed to be an enlightening moment for him, which is uh, pretty cool to see. And even he said he, he gained a, a better appreciation for the drivers that are in the, the circumstance that he just faced um, this evening as we're recording this. So um, that was really cool, though, to see that he made the 500. And then from duel number two, things were going really well until they weren't. So many good cars are now working overtime, making repairs, or, or building out a backup car because of that incident with uh, William Byron, Kyle Busch, and Brad Keselowski. That's kind of... Oh, oh and, um, and Ryan Blaney. He was involved, uh, and it wasn't Ryan Blaney's fault, I don't really know that it was necessarily anybody's fault. Uh, it was a really bad situation. I mean, just the, you know, the William Byron in the 24 car was loose. Kyle Busch was trying to check up. Brad Keselowski was behind him, couldn't see what was happening, wasn't able to check up quick enough, and uh, everything just went crazy. So, um, you know, ha hate to see that happen, especially just a lot of good cars that got knocked out in that wreck there in the second duel. Um yeah, it's it's tough, and, and 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 I didn't expect that at all. Honestly, I expected them to be competitive. I thought they'd I thought they'd really get up there and, and you know, you know, push hard, whatever. But I didn't think there would be some major blocking happening like we saw, and uh, that's ultimately why the wreck happened. It was because of a block that slowed William Byron's momentum and piled everybody up and. And then everybody got bunched up in the middle of the tri-oval, which is a really sketchy part on the track for the race cars. So um, that's about as unsettled as they're going to be on the track is that one spot, that, that maybe football field length. So that that is not where... I think if that had happened on a straightaway and maybe even either of the, you know, the two turns, you know, turns one and two or turns three and four, it may not have unfolded the same exact way. But because it was in the tri-oval... It just really seemed to upset the car. So it's pretty unfortunate that uh, they, uh, all those cars got torn up, and uh, now these teams are behind the eight ball, so to speak, as they head into the weekend. But thankfully, it's Thursday night. Um, now Friday, as you're listening to this, there's, there's a couple of days to get some things buttoned up and repaired or fixed or to pull out the backup car and get it built out and wrapped up for the weekend. But... Kudos to Michael McDowell, though. He was sandwiched, just like William Byron was, in the exact same spot on the racetrack. 
and he held on to it. He went to the back, smart move by him. Um, it was hard to tell if the contact forced him up the track or if he chose to go up the track, but either way, uh, I think he took advantage of the position and just let everyone else go by. He had nothing to lose, really. Um, obviously, there's some points for the top 10 finishers, which every point is so valuable. But at the end of the day, he's got a solid starting position on the front row, uh, you know, P2. And he didn't want to jeopardize that, which is smart. That's wise. And, um, but, and, and two, his hit wasn't exactly the same as William Byron's. Byron was... He seemed to be a little bit loose. It seemed like his car was loose just because of how quickly it turned around. It, it, it almost looked like it was just kind of on top of the racetrack. Um, when Michael McDowell got hit, it was pretty straight on. Uh, it, it wasn't like he got hooked or it was just kind of, you know, he got sandwiched. And uh, But it was in the middle of the trioval just like Byron's was. But uh, Kyle Busch, I think, was maybe had a little bit of left and right movement. And I don't think that the car behind Michael McDowell did. So, but either way, um, he held on to it. And uh, his car is clean, and he's going to be starting P2 um, when we get to the Daytona 500. So, and it was an exciting finish for duel number two. Came down with those last, uh, what was it, seven or eight green flag laps, and especially like the final two, final three. A lot of jockeying around. And Cas uh, Grala made his way in, beat out BJ McLeod. And so it was, it was all really, really exciting. I thought the, aside from the big pile up, you know, the, the big one striking in the duel, um, I thought everything was great. I'd rather that not have happened, but I mean, Hey, made some for, for good excitement things for us to talk about here on the show. So the duels were great. I was, I was pleasant, pleasantly surprised with those. I uh, got to, got to see, you know, Ford and Toyota flex their muscles a little bit, exciting races, both of them. Um, you know, it was kind of some big storylines with the, the non-charter teams making their way in. Some didn't. So I think it had just about everything there was to offer in these uh, the Blue-Green Vacation duels. Now, talking about the delay tone of 500, I mean the, uh, the day tone of 500, I'm just going to go ahead and call it now. There will be no day tone of 500 on Sunday. The broadcasters and Fox Sports and NASCAR, they have to do their due diligence, and uh, not not count the, the you know the eggs before they hatch with things like weather. But I've just been watching the forecast, and I'm telling you, unless something changes drastically, Sunday is going to be a washout. It's like 90 to 100% chance of rain all day. I mean, the weather, it could not get any worse for racing. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. We won't be watching the Daytona 500 on Sunday, I don't, I don't have the same uh, responsibilities that NASCAR and, and all these, uh, you know, TV people do to, you know, say say things that you know that are right and accurate, but you know, and not say things that are just potential. Uh, you know, we can talk about it, but I'm just telling you, it ain't happening. The the forecast just isn't going to allow for it. But as always, it's going to be a battle to keep the car clean. That's that's the Daytona 500. I mean. As far as what to expect, we know what to expect. It's super speedway racing. It's the first big race of the season, a crown jewel event. And there's going to be wrecks. There's going to be incidents. There's going to be mistakes that are made. You've got to run a clean race. You've got to keep your car clean. That's what these drivers need to do. And that's what it's going to take to to win the race. And albeit, uh, I think, on Monday. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it's the same thing. 
gotta have a clean car, gotta be there at the end, and gotta have a have a strong car, be able to make a strong run. So that's what it's gonna take. I don't think NASCAR is gonna do what they did with the clash and move it up to Saturday, because Saturday is gonna be pretty rainy too. Um, but you never know. I'm not sure what NASCAR is going to do. I, I'm just guessing. It looks like the front that's coming through is going to be moving out Sunday night into Monday morning. So I would expect that uh, the race is going to get pushed off to Monday afternoon. So I don't know. We'll see if we're right. I think I think that's probably what's going to happen, though. Just the forecast is not good at all. Now, who are my ones to watch here? I've got four on my list, and I've got some storyline drivers as well. So let's just talk through that a little bit. And again, this isn't my prediction for who will win the race. It's more of a prediction of who should be strong on track and and should be in contention for the win if everything goes well for them. Uh, the ones to watch are, 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 are front row. Uh, Joey Logano and Michael McDowell, first of all, the, the, these two drivers, that's obvious. But it's obvious for more than... Uh, just their qualifying position. Yes, Joey Logano got the pole. Michael McDowell got the outside front row, you know, P2 uh, and qualifying. But aside from having just really fast race cars, both of those guys have a lot of experience on super speedways. Both have won on super speedways. Both know when to risk it, when not to risk it. They're, they're very smart about how they handle their car on the racetrack. I think they were able to prove that, um, not just from the duels with Michael McDowell and the decisions he's made, um, but but both of them, really, in, in seasons past. So I think Joey Logano and Michael McDowell, because they have really fast race cars and because of the knowledge and the experience that they have, makes them really strong competitors to go up here and get a Daytona 500 trophy. Now, I've got two more drivers, too. I've got Tyler Reddick, first of all. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the other one here in a minute. But I've got Tyler Reddick on my list. He obviously won his dual race, but there, he, he's kind of the same thing as Joey Logano and Michael McDowell in my mind is he's got a strong car, obviously. He's able to uh, uh, get up there and wheel the car up towards the front, and he's, he's thinking everything through. He's very strategic and analytical. Now, the, you say, well, he wasn't that strategic whenever he tried to do a, a pit stop right in front of Martin Truex Jr. and about wrecked the field. And I don't know that that's entirely his fault. I, I think he believed that Martin Truex Jr. was going to pit with him. So since there was a hole, they all would just go down there and they'd all start checking up and slowing down, making their way to the entrance of pit road. I think that's probably what he thought was going to happen. But whether whether he did or not, I, I don't know. I just I don't think that that one incident is a proper reflection on how strategic and and how things are, you know, how, how much he thinks things through before he takes action on it. He just seems like to be a really analytical guy that thinks things through well, makes good decisions, and puts himself into position to capitalize on it. So there's been a number of times where you take that kind of a mindset, that kind of a driver, and you match that with a car that is average or subpar, and you don't really get to utilize the knowledge and the experience as much because the car won't won't do what you need it to do. Well, now apparently he's got a really strong hot rod that can get out there and go to the front and and make some moves and get a win, right? That's what he just did here last uh, this evening as I'm recording this, but yesterday as you're hearing this for the dual race, he, that's that's just what he did. And and because he's got a strong car 
and he's got the experience and he's got the, 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 the mental ability to think things through, make good decisions instantly in the moment. And so that makes him a really, really strong competitor. The fourth person on my list is Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, he's with Legacy Motor Club. They haven't been very strong, but now they're with Toyota. They, the Toyotas obviously are very fast. He raced his way in, barely, albeit, but he did race his way in. I think you take the experience that that guy has and you put him in a car and maybe over the next couple of days they, they work on it, they, they get it tuned out good and uh, put themselves, you know, he's it's, it's got 500, 500 miles to get out there and get to the front. And I don't think he's going to take 500 miles to figure out what he needs to do maybe 450 miles to get the car to do what he needs it to do, but he knows what to do. He's got the experience. He knows how to race Daytona. So I think there's a, I think you got to keep an eye on him. Uh, I think, I think he's going to be a strong contender one way or the other here. Once we get to this 500 race this weekend, now I've got a few storyline drivers. And again, if, if you're new to the podcast or if you don't remember from last season, I oftentimes would highlight some storyline drivers and, these aren't necessarily guys that I think are going to go up there and contend for the win, but they're drivers that I would keep an eye on just because I'm curious how well they're going to do because they, they've got a good storyline behind them. And, uh, and one is Harrison Burton. And, and the storyline is he just about got the dual win the, this evening, but um, Austin Sendrick was behind him. He kind of forced his way underneath Harrison Burton and, and it forced Harrison to go up the track and lift a little bit, and it really killed his chance to go up there and contend for the win. But he was making his way up there. So, um, you know, the 21 car hasn't seen a lot of success, but it seems like with the new body design and the setup they've brought to Daytona this weekend that they've got a strong car. I'd be curious to see if he can go up there and uh, and contend for a win. And then the other two are, are John Hunter Nemechek and Carson Hosovar. Uh, you know, John Harnemichek with Legacy Motor Club in the, the Toyota camp, and um, he, he's one that I think has the experience and the, the talent to be able to wheel the car up there. And we, we saw him a little bit in the duels there towards the end of his dual race, uh, making his way towards the front. Uh, I'm, I'm curious just to see how they do. You know, in that 42 car, they've had a lot of struggles last season, um, a lot of uh, lack of success, just to be honest. So I'm curious to see how he would do. And again, I don't know that he's going to get up there and contend for a win, but I would keep an eye on him just to see you know, what they can do in the first race of the season. And that's the same kind of thing for Carson Hosovar in the 77 car with Spire Motorsports. First, you know, first time officially um, running full-time in the Cup Series. New team, new organization for him. Um, everything's new for him. So uh, he's a very confident guy. He very charismatic. And I think a lot of people are going to like him. Um, But, you know, I think he's got a lot to learn, but he's, he's definitely got the talent. He's got some skill and can they use that? Can they, can they capitalize with that and, and come out and run well? So those Harrison Burton, John Hunter Nemechek, Carson Hosovar, those are some of the guys that, again, I mean, they could surprise us, right? They could go up there and get a win. But I don't know that they're going to. But they're going to be ones that I keep an eye on periodically throughout the race just to see how they're doing. So who are your ones to watch? And who are your storyline drivers? Let me know in the comments below. Wherever you're listening to this, I'm sure there's some place to leave a comment. If not, find a spot because I'm curious. 
Who are the drivers that you think are going to do well in the Daytona 500? Well, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with a fellow race fan. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you at the next stage break.